0: Good morning, good morning. Uh, Life, my family, welcome back. Thanks for uh, glad you braved the cold this morning to come in and be here. Uh, Guests, welcome. It's good to get to talk with you this morning and hopefully get a chance to meet you uh, this morning. Guests, we always say this to you. uh, One, my name's Cale. I'm the teaching pastor here. And two, there are some QR codes on the chairs in front of you. So if you are brand new here to LifePoint, we want to help you as much as we can as you're here this morning. Those QR codes will take you to this resource right here. You can just type that in, use the QR code or type it into a web browser. But lpguest.com is for you. There's a bunch of helpful info there about our church There's also the message notes. So LifePoint family, all this is in the LifePoint Ohio app, but the message notes, guests are there this morning, the passages and the notes that'll be on the screen, and you can interact with those there at lpguest.com. And then there's a guest information card, if you wouldn't mind taking 90 seconds or so throughout our service today. Take that, fill it out, give us some feedback. We would love to hear from you before you uh, leave. A couple of things before we jump into our our text this morning. So there's a parent meeting uh, next Sunday, so parents of kids in LifePoint. There's a parent meeting for you specifically. Two options actually right after the 9.30 service and one after the 11 o'clock in the meeting room. We're going to be talking about uh, Wonder Inc. So the new curriculum we have rolled out for our kiddos. If you have any questions about that, we'll talk briefly about that. And then we also will talk about Centricid Kid Camp. And I know that's like that's like the summer way away, but registration starts soon and we want to get the details out in front of you now. So uh, please make time for that next Sunday after both services, right? Choose one. You don't have to registered, just show up and be there, and I'll lead you through through that. And then secondly, uh, life groups launch. So we're on term break right now, but all of our life groups launch again next Sunday, starting next Sunday, the 21st. So you may have gotten one of these when you came in. We, we have done in the past a full catalog of all of our groups, but that catalog keeps getting uh, kind of ridiculously large because of the number of groups that we have. So all that's now listed online. This is just a couple of pages of really helpful information. And probably the, the one you need to know the most, the QR code here, and it's all Also, in the pamphlet itself, that takes you to that online directory. All right, so use that QR code on that online directory. All of our groups are listed out by the leader's names, by the time and day of the group, by the type of group that it is, by campus. You can search it by geography and where you live and find groups groups that are close to you. It's a really, really great resource. And if all else fails, Kevin's name and email is listed right there on the center page, right? It says, Delaware campus, email Kevin, right? So if all else fails, we want, just email him. We want to help you get into a group. And I'm gonna highlight, we've got these things called bridge groups, right? Bridge groups are groups that are uh, meeting usually for a shorter amount of time and around a particular topic or area of care or discipleship. I mentioned a few months ago uh, that we had some groups running at our Lewis Center uh, campus that are, are groups for folks who have made uh, a decision to have an abortion in the past, a post-abortive group that was running and talking about healing and finding healing at the foot of the cross, and bringing that and talking about it first, for some people for the very first time. So I said, hey, I'd love to see one of those groups running here at Delaware, and I'm glad to say God has answered that prayer. So we've got a group running here, and there are actually multiple groups available, both for men and for women. So if if that's uh, something that you say, yes, I have made that decision in the past and I've carried that and I haven't talked about that with anyone, now is the time. You pray through that, now is the time. I want to encourage you, Lindell Bell is spearheading that for us, our missions director. And so you can email Lindell directly and say, hey, I want to be a part of this group and talking about this and bringing that to the foot of the cross to find healing and forgiveness in the gospel. So please take a moment, look through the life group, look through that catalog, look at all of the 1825 groups, middle school, high school groups, adult groups, women's groups, men's groups, and then bridge groups as well. Let us help you find a group and jump into community this term. All right. With all of that said, uh, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and also to Judges 13. So we're going to be in both uh, places today. We, uh, we kicked off a series last week that we're calling Broken Mirrors. We're looking at the reality that broken people reflect a perfect God. And what we've said about that is really, you know, when you look at the, the series artwork, I think does a good job of it. When you look at it, it's this broken mirror, but you can still see in the fragments and in the brokenness the image that it's reflecting. And we said that's a great picture of us as people. We're made in the image of God, broken by sin. But you can still see in us the image of God, broken as we are. And we said last week, in addition to that, when you come to know Jesus, you're being remade into His image and you are seen as perfect by the Father because of the perfect righteousness of Christ. And yet we acknowledge that as we try to love one another and as we follow Jesus, we do so imperfectly, with still the aftermath and effects of of sin and brokenness in the world. But the hope is, as we love one another, and actually the promise is, as we love one another, imperfectly as we do so, people look at us and they get a glimpse of who Jesus is. Jesus said, right, the world will know you by the way in which you love one another. People look at us and imperfect as we are, as we love one another, they get a glimpse of the goodness of God. And so in this series, we said we're going to use Hebrews 11 as sort of the launching point. Hebrews 11 is often known as the Hall of Faith, and it it introduces and names all these people from the Old Testament who are being, to some extent at least, celebrated for the exercise of faith. They believed God for for something, and they received that. And we said we're going to look at some of the lesser-known characters and go back and see their stories and see how God truly does use broken people. And so as we do that, secondly, we're accomplishing a lot in this series. We're going through and highlighting how those stories reflect our five core values as a church. So we did this exercise last week. We're going to do it again probably every single week, but I'm going to throw them up here on the screen. These are our core values as a church. Lift up your hand, right? One hand with me. And we say, this is the acronym GRASP, right? And we just use our fingers, G-R-A-S-M-P. Last week we talked about gospel identity, this reality that we are new, new creations in Christ. And we said that's the thumb, because just like the thumb makes the rest of the hand work, knowing who you are in Christ is what makes all of these other ones really work. And we'll talk about that today to some extent. Today we're hitting reaching priority, right? Say this with me, we are missionaries, all right, now when I say that, we're going to highlight that today through the story, uh, and it's going to seem maybe a little odd at first through the story of a guy named Samson. But when we say we are missionaries, I recognize, and what I don't mean is that every single one of us is going to go cross-culturally around the globe somewhere to reach people with the gospel. Many of us will, maybe in a short term, maybe in a midterm, maybe in a long-term missional opportunity. I'm not saying all of us are going to go cross-culturally or globally, but all of us, I believe very, very clearly from the Scriptures, if we're saved, then we are sent and we are to live on mission. So when we say we are missionaries, what we mean is we look at, as we just sang that song, I'll witness it to my family, to my city, to my workplace, to where I live, wherever God has placed me, I am to live on mission for the kingdom of God. And so from Hebrews 11, let me read to you. Hebrews 11, verses 32 through 34. The author of Hebrews in chapter 11 has already said, right, faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It's believing God for his promises. And then he lists out all these people. He gets to verse 32 and he says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith... Conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. This morning we're going to highlight Samson. Samson is the one, you say, which one pertained to him, was made strong out of weakness, He believed God and asked God for strength at a moment of his life when he was weak, and he received that strength. But I'm just going to warn you, the commendation for Samson sort of stops there. You might think, based on this description, we're going to go back and look at Samson's life, and it's going to be like, Samson, what a guy. And it's not that at all. Samson does at the end of his life exercise faith. He asks God, calls out to God for something. God answers that prayer. But we're going to see even that is tinged with kind of mixed motives. And frankly, there's a lot to lament about Samson's life. You find a story in Judges 13 through 16. I'm going to give you the background to the book of Judges. So uh, as we enter the book of Judges, Israel, Moses is dead, Joshua is dead. They've taken over part of the promised land, but they did not complete expelling the Canaanites from the promised land. They got they got comfortable and began to settle in. And what happened is instead of basically they've forgotten God, they've forgotten their purpose, they've forgotten their gospel identity, who they are, that they've been chosen by God and set apart by Him. And in so doing, because they've forgotten their gospel identity, they've forgotten their purpose, their calling. That they are to be a witness to the nations, that they're to reflect God to the nations. Instead, they become like the nations. They become the word is is Canaanized. They become like the people of Canaan around them. They start adopting their lifestyles. They start adopting their gods. And they start worshiping the gods around them. And so God gives them over to the people of Canaan. And, and the whole book of Judges is a cycle. The people rebelling against God. God gives them over to their enemies. Then they cry out for deliverance. So God raises up a judge, a deliverer. That's what they call them. That's why it's called the book of Judges. And God delivers them for a time. And then it all starts over again. When it gets to the story of Samson, this is several hundred years of this. When it gets to the story of Samson, though it starts on such a hopeful note, it's actually nearing the low point of the spiritual life of Israel during the time of Judges. So in this book, they've almost forgot, or in this story, in Judges 13 through 16, during the life of Samson, the people of Israel have almost completely forgotten God. Nearly completely forgotten their identity and their purpose. And you see that in the fact that in his story, they don't even cry out to God anymore. It's almost as if they've become so used to Canaan domination and Canaan worship and that they don't even remember who they are. And it's almost to the point where they're like, well, this is just the way it is. They don't even recognize this isn't the way it was supposed to be. They no longer cry out for deliverance. And Samson, so this is really important to understand. Samson's life, the narrator incl- intentionally is saying, Samson's life is a parallel to the whole life of Israel. Samson, his person, his character, and his life is a parallel to the life of Israel, to the people of Israel as a whole. And Samson's story starts with such promise, but actually he accomplishes the least of any of the judges for the deliverance of the people of Israel. Here's how his story starts Judges 13, verses 1 through 5. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines. That's the particular enemy at this time. For 40 years, there was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, if you hear echoes in that language, right, of a later angel who comes to a woman and says, you shall conceive and bear a son, you should. Please note that, right? Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be called a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. What a hopeful start, right? angel comes, you're going to have a son, it's going to be miraculous and he's going to begin to deliver the people from their enemies. By the way, a Nazarite, right? So a Nazarite vow was something someone would take and it was this acknowledgement of, "I, I am being set apart, I'm setting myself apart for God for a purpose. And it was marked by three things basically, they would not drink any wine or alcohol, they wouldn't cut their hair, no razor on the head, and no touching or coming near a dead carcass. You say, what's the point of all that? The point is to visibly set themselves apart. I'm not doing these things. I'm being consecrated. I'm being set apart by God for God. Now the difference, what's interesting and really exceptional about Samson's life is usually that vow was taken voluntarily by the person. What's interesting and exceptional about Samson is that that vow, that calling is put on his life before he's ever born. God says to his mom, no, he's going to be a Nazarite from the womb. So with that great calling on his life, you're like, what is he going to do? And this is how the story of Samson goes. I'm going to summarize to you the next three chapters, Judges 13 through 16. I would encourage you to read it. It's hard to read. It's interesting at times, but it's also lamentable. God blesses him and gives Samson through his spirit extraordinary strength and power, physical strength and power, and Samson grows up and uses that strength like a toy, mostly for completely self-centered purposes, for his own little personal adventures and agenda. Now, uh, to be sure, he does some incredible things, some wild supernatural feats. It's actually really fun to read it, right? At one point in time, a lion comes and attacks him, he grabs the thing and just rips it apart with his bare hands, right? And when I read that and thought about that, this story has no purpose other than to just be relatable for a second. So uh, when I was a, a really, really young dad, my, my, our oldest is eight now, but when he was just born a couple of months in, my wife still makes fun of me for this moment because uh, like a young dad, right? So my, my wife and I were like, we're going to put him in the nursery and we're going to sleep over here and it's going to be great. And, and of course, you know, right? Any little noise they make, you pop out of bed and you're like, oh no, right? And so we hear one night that he's screaming and I just, take off, right? I'm in dad mode. And, and I get in there and his leg is caught between the slats of, of the crib. And so I, I put on Samson mode, right? And I imagine Samson and I are built similarly. And so I get, I get down there and I grab the slats of the crib, right? And with all my might, I just begin to pull and nothing happens. <laughs> Morgan comes over, like grabs his leg and pulls it out of the slats, right? It's like, good for you, honey, right? She's still... Still brings that up to this day. She's like, do you remember that time? Like, yes, I remember. Thank you, right? (laughs) Samson rips this thing apart. One point in time, he kills 30 Philistines in one raid. Another time, he kills 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. I have no idea how that works. But one, note this. He's not supposed to touch dead carcasses, right? And he grabs the jawbone of a donkey. That's a kind of theme of his life, is ignoring in some ways his Nazarite. Vow. At one point in time, this is probably my favorite. He catches 300 foxes, ties their tails together, puts torches in between it, and then lets them loose in Philistine territory to set everything of the Philistines on fire. He's an absolute nuisance to the Philistines. He's a thorn in their side. He's sort of this hero in Israel. But here's the thing as you read his story, you get the the sense in all of those things, he thinks nothing about God's purposes or the deliverance of his people. Most of what he does his personal exploits are exactly that, personal exploits, often done out of anger or for personal revenge against people who have wronged him. Samson not only uses his strength for his own personal agenda, but he uses people. He uses his strength like a toy and he uses people. He uses women. Specifically, he's drawn to Philistine women. He marries a a Philistine girl uh, to begin with, despite the protests of his parents. And the problem was not with the individual girl. It's not because his parents didn't like her individually. Israelites were not supposed to marry Philistines. And that's not a, it was not a racial thing or an ethnic thing. It was a religious thing. God told the people of Israel, you are not to marry in, in the cultures around you because they will draw your hearts away. They will draw you into worshiping their pagan gods. That's exactly what happened. He said, you are to be set apart. Samson ignores that gets married to her. That ends terribly. She and her family are killed actually because of the actions in some ways of Samson. It ends with the whole Fox episode. Then Samson goes on to uh, be involved with the Philistine prostitute. And finally, he enters a long-term relationship with a third Philistine woman named Delilah. Some of you know how that story ends. The Philistines come to Delilah and say, look, you're one of us. Tell us the secret to this guy's strength. Can you get the secret out of him so we can beat him? So they offer her a bunch of money. And she says, okay. And she begins to go to Samson and do the whole, you know, if you really loved me, then you would tell me your secret. And at first, Samson's responses are pretty much par for the course. He lies to her because it's all a game to him. He basically is toying with her and toying with the Philistines. He says, you know what? If you bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, strings, right, then I'll be as weak as any other man. So she does that and the Philistines come in and, you know, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He breaks it free, beats all the Philistines. At that point in time, you would begin to think, maybe you don't stick with this girl. But he does, he says, second time, bind me with new ropes that have never been used and that happens, right? She binds him, ambush, same exact thing. Finally, he says, you know, if you weave the seven locks of my hair in a loom and then fasten it, and then I get it, then I will, I'll be as weak as any other man. So while he sleeps, um, he, she does this. He wakes up, rips the thing off, beats the Philistines. And again, at what point in time, you're reading the story going, like, at what point in time do you just leave this relationship? But I think that's the point. It's all a game to him. Samson has become so used to, and this is important and has real application into many of our lives, because of his gifting, because of his incredible gifting, he's gotten so used to, I can do what I want, when I want, how I want. And he's so prideful and so arrogant that he is blind to the danger that he's in. He's got this gift, rather than taking seriously, he he plays with women, he plays with the Philistines and perhaps most significant, he, significantly, he plays with the gifting and calling that God has play, put on his life. Instead of taking it seriously, the calling and purpose for which God has given him that gifting, he just plays with it like it's a personal toy to be used for his own agenda and exploits. And so finally, what happens is that Delilah presses him so hard, and the text literally says that his soul was vexed to death. Like he can't take it anymore. And so he tells her all his heart. This is in Judges 16. He says, I've been a Nazarite from, from birth. Which, which know, he does know, right? He tells you he does know what his life has been supposed to be about. He knows. He says, if you shave my head, a razor's never touched my head. If you shave my head, you cut my hair. My strength will leave me and I'll be like any other man. So in the aftermath of that, he falls asleep. On her knees, she has his hair cut during his sleep. The Philistines come upon him. He wakes up out of his sleep and he thinks to himself, well, (laughs) I'll just whip these guys like I have before. But then comes Judges 16 verse 20, which one author said is one of the more sad, tragic statements in all of the Old Testament. It says this, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. He did not know that the Lord had left him. You say, why is that so sad? By the way, his hair has been cut at this point in time, so he has now systematically broken every facet of his Nazarite vow, right? He was part of a big feast at one point in time where presumably drinking wine, he's touched dead carcasses multiple times, and now he's had his hair cut. But why is that so sad? Again, his life is this parallel of the people of Israel. Samson is so blind so spiritually insensitive, so unattuned to what the Spirit of God is doing in his life that when God has left him, he's not even aware of it anymore. He can't tell the difference between walking with God and not. It's a picture also of the people of Israel, so spiritually blind, so spiritually insensitive, right? In the story, they're not even calling out for deliverance anymore because they don't realize anymore that there's even a problem, that God has in a sense left the building. So, verse 22 then, it looks like all is kind of lost. What happens? The Philistines overpower him. They gouge out his eyes. So now his spiritual blindness is matched by his physical blindness. They force him to grind mill like a donkey. And you think, man, it's probably all over. But we're given this glimmer of hope. In verse 22 of Judges 16, it says this, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And so you think for a moment, they're like, oh, maybe a happy ending is coming. And as you read on, it's like, ish, right? Happy-ish, sort of. This is how the story ends. The, the Philistines throw a big party to their God, and they're celebrating victory over the Israelites, victory over Samson, and in effect, victory over, they think, Yahweh, over Israel's God. And they say, let's have Samson come out and we can mock him. He can entertain us. And so there's this pitiful scene where Samson, the champion, comes out blind, being, having to be led by this young boy, and the young boy brings him out, and they're all mocking him, and he says, hey, will you, asks the boy, will you put my hands on the pillars that hold the building up? And so he puts him there, and Judges 16, verses 28 through 30, this is how it all ends. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. There are thousands of people in this place. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. And that's pretty much how the story ends. You say, what, what do we do with that? So in summary, let's summarize. Samson has proven to be selfish, self-centered, immature, largely unfaithful to God and the calling God has placed on his life. And yet, God is still faithful and hears him, All Right. Again, this is a picture of Israel at this point in time. God, the narrator's trying to make a point. Israel, if we'll just call out to God, he will answer us. But Samson shows utter disregard for other people, for the women in his life, for his parents, his Nazarite vows, and even for God himself. In the end, he does exercise faith. You're like, why in the world is this guy celebrated in Hebrews chapter 11? At the end of his life, he has this moment. It's only the second time in the whole story where he actually acknowledges God. But he does cry out and he says, God, you are the source of strength. I recognize now you are the source of my strength and I'm asking you to strengthen me one more time. But, and so he is commended for that faith. God, I know you're the one who provides it. Will you provide it? And yet, even in the asking, you know, there's some, some motives there. He doesn't say so that I can accomplish the purpose, right, for which you set me or for your glory. It's so that I can be avenged on, for my two eyes. So even there, it seems like it's some of these selfish ends, but in the end, God is faithful and does deal this blow to the Philistines and does through Samson's life what he said he was going to do, sometimes seemingly even in spite of Samson. The question is, what do we do with that? (laughs) What do we take from this? And with the time we have left, I want to offer, I want to offer four observations, four things. Two of them, things that are really all four that are true of Samson and Israel. Two of them that are definitely true of us. One that's true of God and, and then one that's really a warning, I think, to us. So here's the four things I want to say. This is true of Samson, it's true of Israel, and largely true of us. One, set apart by God for a purpose. Two, empowered by God's Spirit to accomplish that purpose. Three, this is the warning. Samson and Israel were largely unfaithful to God and the purpose for which God created them and saved them. Number four, this should be, I think, an encouragement, a promise to us. God remained faithful to them, and he remains faithful to us. Now, lest you're furiously writing this down, we're going to go through one at a time here. Number one, set apart by God for a purpose. This was true of Samson, it was true of Israel. And it is true of us. Samson was set apart by God from his birth to begin to deliver the people from the Philistines. Israel set apart by God, chosen by him to reflect him to all the nations. And you say, what of us? Can I read to you Ephesians chapter one? You don't need to go there. Just listen here. Blessed be the God and Father. This is verse 3 of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Have you been chosen by God if you're in Christ? Yes. You say, yeah, but I've been, have I been set apart by a purpose for God? Look at what Paul says a chapter later, Ephesians 2 verse 10, after he says, we've been saved by grace through faith. This is what he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for a purpose, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You want, you want to blow your mind for a second? Recognize that your life, when you come to know and love Jesus, and if you're here today and you don't know and love Jesus, that's what we're inviting you into. And when you start following Jesus, recognize your whole life is like one epic scavenger hunt where you get to find and discover the good things that God has laid out for you. It's awesome. You have good works laid out before you. And as you walk with Jesus and you walk with him by the Spirit, you get to discover these things that God has laid out for you to do for his glory. You say, well, what are some of those good works? I don't know all of them for you. I don't know all of them for me. I know one major one for all of us. We find it all over the New Testament. It's summarized. Matthew chapter 28 where Jesus gets up and he looks at his disciples and he says, Now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Go make disciples. Acts chapter 1. He says, you guys are going to be my witnesses. So we sang earlier. A major purpose in your life and in my life that we've been set apart for is to be a witness to what God has done. Witnesses to our family, witnesses to our community, to our city, to our workplace and to the nations. If you've been saved, you have been sent, you are a missionary and because of your gospel identity, you're a new creation in Christ, you also have a reaching priority to go out and find those and seek out the lost and bring to them the hope of the gospel. Love God, love others, and make disciples. We say it here oftentimes, right? We wanna draw life from God and point others to Him. And I, I had a conversation this week. i tell you what, it was so fun. I sat down with a, a guy from our church over lunch and I asked him, hey, can I share some of the story? He said, for sure. So I sit down one of those phenomenal moments where a lot of God's activity just wrapped into about an hour of conversation. He'd been baptized recently here. Um, Guy who's, I I think, uh, late 40s, right, maybe uh, early 50s, and his kids, right, grown and into college now, and just recently came to to, uh, faith in Christ. And he said he'd hit a really low point in his life, and he's working out over at Planet Fitness. Like, maybe I should go back to church or something. He actually had never really been in church. He's like, maybe I should just try this. And he's over at Planet Fitness, and he looks up, and he sees our sign. He's like, "What, what the world's life points? And he looks it up, right? He's like, oh, it's a church. Okay. So he walks in one day. It's just so fun. I'm like, what was your experience like? He's like, well, six people said hi to me by the time I sat down. I'm like, praise God, right? Yes. And so he's like, I find the deepest, darkest corner, right? I sit alone, and then I see this guy in a blue shirt come up to me with a bucket, right? And he's like, he walks up to me, and I'm like, here it comes, right? The, the ask for money, right? He's like, I knew it. And instead, the guy hands him candy, right? He's one of our connections, Mike Thomas, one of our connections members, right? Walks up and gives him candy, right? And he's like, right, okay. So he puts the candy in his pocket. and He says, you guys start to sing, and I'm listening. He's like, I could get into this. And he said, as it starts to sing, he starts to get a little emotional, and he reaches into his pocket, and he pulls out the candy just to see what it is. And he said, it was a lifesaver. And he said something about seeing that lifesaver as you guys are singing. He said, I just felt like God said to me right then and there, like, this is where you need to be. And so I asked him, I said, man, what happened next? And it's one of those moments where, like, we're, I had to tell him this. I'm like, we're not a perfect church, and we're going to screw some things up sometimes. But this is one of those moments where you're like, it's working, right? Like, oh, well, praise God. He's like, man, I emailed somebody, and I didn't really expect a response, and they emailed me right back, and I got into a men's group, and he just couldn't speak highly enough about his men's group. He's like, these guys love me, and they love Jesus, and I ask really dumb questions, and, and they don't, like, make me feel stupid. I don't know anything about the Bible, and they answer it graciously, and they're helping me grow in my relationship. With, with Jesus. And so I'm hearing this, I'm like, oh my goodness, like praise God. And I look at him and I said, hey, can I just ask you like, w- from that lifesaver moment to now, what has changed? He said, I'll give you two things. And first, I, when I asked him, what, did, what was your life like before Christ? He said, i give you three things. He said, three things marked my life. Uh, anger, alcohol, and caffeine. And I said, well, what has changed? He said, I'll give you two things. And without a hint of sarcasm, without really any hesitation, he said, one, I no longer want to kill myself. At that point in time, I think I probably started to tear up. And he said, look, uh, basically it was get my girls through high school and then I can just be done. Then it was, okay, they made it to college. Great, right? Now get them through high school and, and then I can be done. He said, I don't want to kill myself anymore. I said, praise God. He said, number two, I know now that I have a purpose. And then he said this, he said, I'm just not sure what that purpose is. Guys, I'm in the middle of prepping the reaching priority message. And so I'm sitting there going, let me tell you, right? What's your part? That's awesome. And man, let me share with you. So I got to share with him. I said, look, I don't know those specific good works that God has laid out. You're going to find that as you walk with God more. But I know that in an overarching way, the purpose of your life and my life and every believer's life is to go make disciples. You're going to have an opportunity to witness to your girls, to your people in your workplace, to people that God brings into your life, the story that God has given you. To tell this story. Oh, over and over of what Jesus has done in your life. And he looked at me and he was like, man, I, I never, never really thought about that. And we got to celebrate that together. I walked out of there and I was like, Lord, I'm hopeful to do this for the next few decades, but if, if I'm done today, like I'll go out on this note, right? This is good. Praise God for what you are doing. He started to understand what I want all of us to understand this morning. If you are saved, you are sent. And God has changed you and called you and chosen you and brought you into his family to send you back out to be a witness to what Jesus has done and to bring other people into the kingdom. Secondly, you're empowered by God's spirit to accomplish that purpose. Samson was empowered. Israel was empowered. And I think sometimes we're like, wouldn't it be amazing if we had access to God's spirit like Samson did? like the Israelites did. the Wouldn't it be awesome if God would still empower his people to do supernatural things? And honestly, whenever I think that way and whenever you think that way, we're either not reading our Bibles or we're not believing them. Because guys, the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter two. He hasn't left. (laughs) He's not gone anywhere. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's going to come. I'm going to leave and the helper's going to come to you. And he's going to speak to you what the Father says. He's going to empower you. And so Acts 2, you see this Holy Spirit-empowered church. And that's, that's not like, oh, that's neat back then. That's a, I think that's still supposed to be going on now, that we are empowered by the Spirit to go out and to align our lives with, with his mission. And to do the works that he's called us to do. Our, our job is not to try to manufacture this. Our job is not to quench the Spirit. Our job is to align our lives with the Holy Spirit. And I I think a missing piece in our discipleship is that sometimes in sort of American church Christianity and and self-included, it's like, you know, we pray the prayer and I got saved. Now what? Wait around until Jesus comes back and it's like, no, we've got to move on to the, now go make disciples and teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. Align your life with his mission. Prioritize your life for his mission and you will see more of his activity. You will see more of the work of God when your life is about the work of God. Some of us were like, well, I don't see a lot of God's activity. Frankly, it might be because A little bit like Samson, it's like you're just off doing your own personal agenda and your little adventures, right? But you're not aligning your life with God's mission. When you begin to align your life with God's mission, I think you see more of his activity. got an email a couple of weeks ago from someone in our church, a lady who said, hey, I'm looking for a church in Northeast Ohio for my niece. And we talked a few months ago about having one person you're praying for. She said, she's my one. She just gave her life to Jesus. She said, not only that, but her dad, my brother, right? She said, he gave his life to Jesus. I just started praying for him recently. He was my other one. Now, listen, it doesn't always work that fast. There are times where we knock on the door of prayer for decades. You keep doing it. But look, sometimes God moves like that. And the bottom line is we won't see more of his activity until we align our life with his mission and stop prioritizing lesser things over him. And that's the warning. Okay, that's that number three. Largely unfaithful to God and to his purpose. Samson and Israel, this is the warning for us this morning, guys. Samson and Israel have this incredible calling on their lives and largely squander it in some ways, at least during this season, because they're so enamored with the stuff the world has to offer around them that they don't prioritize God and they they largely in some ways forfeit this This calling or this opportunity to be a light to the people around them. And my sense is that that's that's where some of us are as well. That we're not not prioritizing the mission of God. We don't understand. It's like, yeah, I've been saved. But you don't understand that gospel identity leads to reaching priority. And that God has people in your life that he wants you to reach. He's going to use you. And as believers... When, we become, when we're saved and we're forgiven and we're made new, it's not, okay, now make some money, have a comfortable life, spend some time with family, get to retirement, have some pleasure, have a good time and then die. None of those things are bad. But listen, God gave up his son and Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross to save you. And he saved you for so much more than that. He said, nothing less than the, gl- you, you have a wonderful and glorious purpose over your life and it's nothing less than to glorify God through every aspect of your life. Nothing less will do. And this is my hope for us as a church, that we, I have prayed this to God. God, will you help us, right? In the mundane, in the spectacular, in everything in between, will you help us just to be this missional beast of a church who really understands who we are, and what we're to be doing. I don't want, I don't want myself, I don't want any of us to stand before Jesus someday as a church. And he's like, what did you do with the talents that I gave you? And we're like, look, Jesus, look, here's my my fantasy football league. It was awesome. Look at what I spent my time. I made a lot of money. What did you do with it? Not much. (laughs) I don't want that for any of us. I want us to be able to stand before Jesus and say, man, I lived my life. For you and for your glory. And it was hard, but it was awesome because he's worth it. Let's align our lives with his mission and prioritize accordingly. If you say, Kale, I want to do that, where do I start? I would encourage you to pray this simple prayer God, will you open my eyes to the mission field around me? God, will you open my eyes? to the opportunities, to the mission field around me. One of our pastors calls that a dangerous prayer. He said, "Is a dangerous prayer because when you pray it, you can have a high degree of confidence God is going to answer it. And it's going to change your life. God, will you begin to open my eyes to the mission field around me? Finally, this. We'll close here. God remained faithful to them and to us. In the end, I don't want us leaving here thinking, okay, so it's all up to us. <laughs> no. Even in spite of Samson's best efforts in some ways, in all the brokenness and in all the weakness, God is faithful and he does what he said he was going to do through Samson's life. Deals this great blow to the Philistines. God was faithful to Samson. God was faithful to Israel. God will be and is faithful to us and he has proved that faithfulness ultimately through the birth, the life, the death and the resurrection of his son. And I've always encouraged us, right, as we read the Old Testament to look through these characters and see Christ, Samson is pointing us forward to another deliverer. The the angel came to his mom and said, he's going to begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. That tells you right there, the deliverance isn't complete. That, That awaits another deliverer. His life is pointing forward to this guy named David, who comes and God through David deals the decisive blow to the Philistines but their lives point forward to this other deliverer, this greater judge, this greater savior, this greater one. And the angel comes to Mary and says the same thing, right? You're gonna, you're gonna conceive and have a son, but the promise is so much better. He, he doesn't say, he's gonna deliver. He's gonna begin to deliver the people from a temporary enemy, from Rome. No, no, he says, you're gonna name him Jesus because he's gonna save the people from their sins. He's going to deliver them from their ultimate spiritual enemy, from Satan, sin, and the grave once and for all. And Jesus fulfilled that. God was faithful to that promise through the life and the death, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today, here's my hope. If you're here today and you love Jesus, I hope you will embrace the mission for which God has called you and saved you and chosen you. And if you're here today and you don't know him, you haven't followed Jesus, I would invite you to step into that relationship, turn from your sin, trust Jesus Christ, and begin walking with him and discovering the purpose for which you were created. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for calling us, for redeeming us, for saving us and God I I pray that this morning would serve in some ways as a little bit of a wake up for some of us to reprioritize to be just more enamored with you than we are of the culture around us Father set our hearts on fire in a good way for the purpose for which you've created us God let us align our lives with your mission let us open our eyes God will you open our eyes to the opportunities around us you told us The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So God, here we are. And we declare we're available. Use us, please, for the sake of your kingdom. And Father, if there are any here today who've never taken that first step into a relationship with you, God, I'm grateful that you know exactly who they are, their story. And like that gentleman that I had lunch with this week, you know exactly what they need when they need it. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.